Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Happy Tuesday, everyone. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Lots to get to today. It's Tuesday, March the 9th. Hope you guys had a wonderful weekend. I know I did. Um, sorry, couldn't get to it on Monday. Mondays, you know, it's kind of a day. Sometimes I got some other stuff I got to do. So, you know, I, I don't know. Don't count on one on Mondays for a while. But uh, certainly enjoyed doing three last week. Going to try to get multiple ones in here as we take you right on up through spring football practice into the summer. Lots of football recruiting we'll have to talk about. Hopefully, we're talking about baseball for a long time. I have a feeling we're going to be talking about men's basketball for a while. Uh, and then, of course, women's basketball and whatever else you want to talk about. Uh, Gamecocks did make a coaching change in swimming and diving. As McGee Moody and the Gamecocks have parted ways. So, Ray Tanner's got a job to fill in that minor sport. Um. You know, and, and I think McGee Moody did a pretty good job. I, I don't know the history of Carolina swimming, but I know the SEC's tough uh, in that sport, and they held their own. So we'll see what happens with that program. Uh, probably won't talk about it again until they hire somebody, to be honest. Uh, women's basketball, Gamecocks won the SEC tournament for, I think, the sixth time in seven years, uh, beating Tennessee, getting revenge for that loss, and then, you know, holding off Georgia – in the finals looks like Georgia women's basketball may be back uh they got a good coach and a, a good team played the Gamecocks within five Carolina wins at 67 62 uh you know three three pretty good wins I thought the Tennessee win was the best one uh obviously uh Bama was kind of up and down and then Georgia was a close one there at the end but Gamecocks win the SEC women's tournament they're in line for maybe a number one seed uh, maybe it's number two, but it looks like it could be number one. Looks like it's between them and NC State uh, for the number one seed uh, in the regionals with the NCAA Women's Tournament coming up. So that program's in good shape. The men, not so much. Another game where early on they're somewhat competitive. Uh, I think it was tied at 25 or 20 or something like that. And then all of a sudden, uh, Kentucky pulls away 92-64. Not the best Kentucky team in the world, but certainly they have talent. Uh, Gamecocks will take their shot at the SEC tournament opening with Ole Miss later this week. Lots of talk about Frank Martin and his future out there. Uh, You kind of hear it more and more. You hear more talk behind the scenes. Uh, You hear more talk out in public. Don't know what's going to happen there, folks. But uh, uh, certainly I would lean more towards something changing now than, than maybe I did a couple of weeks ago where I thought, you know, I'd lean towards more, you know, he'd be retained, uh, you know, or, and I don't know that he'll be fired. I I just, uh, I hope not. I hope, I hope if there's a parting of ways, they can mutually agree to part ways and and move forward. Uh, I I don't know that, you know, firing Frank Martin is going to be something that you want to do. I think Frank could also go get another job somewhere. I don't think he's, Uh, run himself out of coaching by any means. I know this year was extremely challenging and extremely ugly, uh, but I think he's kept it above water other than that. Um, You know, I know people are frustrated that they didn't capitalize on the NCAA tournament run to the final four. Uh, I don't think anybody's more disappointed than that than Frank Martin. Um, But, you know, you, you think about it last year's team, 18 and 13, I did it to themselves with, with some of those bad losses. I, I think the previous year's team that finished 16 and 16, 11 and 7 in the league with a young team and Chris Silva did it to themselves with some of those losses at Wyoming. Uh, you know, you, you're not talking about, you know, not counting this year, obviously, where they're, they're just bad, but uh, the last three seasons previous, you know, you're talking about three teams that, if you look at three games that could have gone their way now, now the first team after the final four, those were like games like Texas tech, which was ranked and Tennessee, which was ranked and, you know, games that just didn't go their way late. They just weren't good enough to finish the deal. Uh, But at 17 and 16, they could have, you know, you win two or three of those, they could have been in the 16 and 16 team because of their conference record. You know, you don't lose 
you know, had they just kind of – and Walford was obviously a really good second-round NCAA tournament team that year, beating about 17. But, you know, they just beat Walford by one at home and, you know, don't lose to some of those other teams they lost to that year. Um, you know, that's that's probably a different story, you know, uh, at least maybe getting into the NIT. And then last year, of course, you can't lose at home to Stetson. Uh, you, you can't – you know, when you got an opportunity to beat a Wichita State – uh, down there in Mexico or wherever, or in Northern Iowa, uh, you know, you got to beat them. Those teams had good RPIs or, or net rankings, and those would have been quality wins. And you certainly, after you've beaten Virginia and Clemson back-to-back, can't lose at Stetson and home, and then you work your way all the way back, and you lose to a bad Vanderbilt team in, in the season finale uh, where a win would have put you on the bubble. You know, a win would have uh, made it to where you get a couple wins in Nashville at the tournament, and you're probably in. Uh, where it stood, though, I, th- I think they would have had to have won the tournament to be, and we'll never know because the season got called off because of COVID. Uh, but you know, this year is just bad, and you know, you look at the trend line. It's four years, no postseason. Um, you know, I, I, I think a lot of unfortunate things have happened uh, with regards to that in terms of, of basketball sort of changing a bit over the years. Uh, from the time everybody cared about it till now, <laughs> uh, the Dave Odom era, you know, you could go 14 and 13 and make the NIT. Uh, I think the sec- the first NIT championship team did that. Um, that's not the case anymore because they changed the rule uh, where the regular season champion of the mid-majors gets into the NIT automatically. So, you know, you, the, the team after the final four was an NIT team, you'd think, and, you know, that, that next team would have probably been in the NIT under regular circumstances. Then last year certainly uh, would have been. And, and then you go back to the 25-9 and nine team that was in the NIT that should have been in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, so that's – those are just things that just haven't – you know, the ball hasn't bounced their way. Um, and they've been close. They've been right there. The, the problem is this year with all these guys back, um, you know, even though they struggle with COVID and, and some things like that, you know, this team got has gotten worse and worse and worse, you know, and every time it showed signs of life, they'd come out and lay another egg. I mean, and again, I don't think it's completely a talent issue. I, you know, you, you look at it and, you know, when this team decides to play basketball, you know, look at the Georgia game the other week, you know, they go on the road and slaughter them by 21 points. Um, you know, they, they played A&M to open the season. A&M's not very good, but uh, beat them, got off to a good start, took LSU to the wire, took Alabama to the wire. You know, teams that don't have good players don't do that. Um, it, it's it's everything with this team, you know, I, I think. And uh, it's unfortunate. Sad to watch in a lot of ways just because I, you know, I, I football, covering football and analyzing football has been my job for 15 years now. So basketball, I'm, I'm more like a fan. I, I'll talk and I'll give you my opinion and tell you what I think's wrong and, and what it seems like's wrong. But I, I'm no expert in that. You know, I hurt just like you guys hurt whenever that team loses. Uh, you know, it's just uh, it's more of a, a hobby for me. Um, I'm going to remain professional and not talk smack and things like that. But uh, you know, it, it's I, I don't I don't know enough about the sport you know, to really sit there and dive into the, you know, wh- what are they doing wrong on offense and defense? I know about defense. Uh, I know there's no buy-in on defense because this defense is, is not, you know, even my rudimentary knowledge of basketball, this defense is not designed to be played like it's been played. Um, and then there's shooting and everything else. But uh, talent-wise, though, player-wise, I'll stand by that. I think that, you know, that this team has enough players to, to where they should have been in the NCAA tournament, at least the last two years, um, probably should have been an NIT team the two previous years. And, and it just, you know, things just haven't happened. And, and there's been some bad losses, some great wins, but some bad losses have been woefully inconsistent. This year they have been consistently bad. So that's uh, that's the deal there. Bottom line, they just, uh, you know, from the, the game against Liberty – you know, in the opener where I, I guess they just didn't figure Liberty could come play ball. Um, <laughs> they got blown probably wasn't close, a close game uh, to then the game against Houston. Houston's mission, mission missing half their team. Obviously, there was a COVID issue there for that game. Probably shouldn't have been played. Uh, and they go and, and they can't hold a lead. You know, one step forward, two steps back. You know, you go to LSU. Frank can't coach it. You have them on the ropes. 
uh, good LSU team, and then they lose. Uh, and, and then kind of what did it was I think that Auburn game at home. Auburn has no postseason. You know, they're out of the postseason this year. Their season's over. Uh, and you, you let them hang 109 on you in, in your own building, uh, you know, a team that doesn't have much to play for. And then that was an important, important game for the Gamecocks. So, you know, and, and then, of course, you know, when you lose to Mississippi State and Ole Miss at home during a three-game homestand that you desperately need, you know, you, you've got red flash alarms uh, going off. Uh, this is the worst, worst season of Frank Martin's head coaching career. Uh, it's, I think it's worse than his first two teams at Carolina, although the players are, are much better. Um, so we'll see what happens there. I, you know, I do think they're at a crossroads. Um, I'm not saying Frank Martin's not coming back because he very well could. Uh, I'm saying that there is a big question right now, uh, and we'll see kind of what happens. And, and if they do go to replace him, you know, there's literally, you know, I don't think there's a guy you look at and go, well, that's the guy for the job you know, no-brainer layup. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of options out there, and, and they all come with some risk, um, you know, unless you can go hire John Beeline. Uh, you know, and, and like I said, I, I said I'd, I'd go hire Rick Pitino if I were them, and I've said that before on this podcast, but that was before I knew Rick Pitino had a $10 million buyout. And even at that, I don't think it's as simple as the South Carolina came and said, well, we'll pay the $10 million. Why don't you come? I, I'm just not sure that that's – you know, in the cards for Patino, if you read what he says, you know, he, he's excited about coaching at that level and, and sort of, uh, you know, finishing up his career right there at home uh, and uh, where he's from, where he's got roots and, and all that. So, you know, to, to try to be the, the Gonzaga of the East coast, if you will, for the twilight of his career. And, you know, you got to think, why would he take South Carolina, you know, in terms of that now, I don't know what Rick Pitino's thought, true thoughts are. Uh, I just know that that's what he said publicly. Um, so I'm not going to talk about Rick Pitino anymore. I'll, I'll talk about the realistic candidates and and all that. So unless you can get John Beeline, I, I just don't know that there's uh, a no-brainer out there for South Carolina basketball. They, they need to go find, uh, if, if there is a change made, they need to find their Nate Oates. Uh, you know, I, I think that when you looked at Alabama, Avery Johnson did a lot of good recruiting there, uh, just like Anthony Grant did. It just it was they were just kind of like in that 16 and 13 ish range every year. Um, but then you look at it and, and, and Nate Oates has had the plan to put it together and he kept the players. Um, you know, they, they kept some players on campus uh, that Avery Johnson had wanted. Uh, I mean, had recruited. Uh, Oates lost some guys, but not a bunch. And, and so that's kind of a, a tribute to their success. But, you know, Bama's really good. Arkansas is really good. Um, those two guys, those two schools, I think, have second-year coaches. Uh, and that's uh, that's trouble for South Carolina because Tennessee's not going anywhere. Florida's not going anywhere. Kentucky will be back. Um, even Jerry Stackhouse, Vanderbilt's given the Gamecocks trouble in Nashville the last two years. Missouri with Quanzo Martin, very good. Uh I would hope that some kind of resolution would come with Will Wade at LSU, but it hadn't happened yet. Uh, and then you have two of the best floor coaches in the game in Kermit Davis and uh, and Ben Howland at Mississippi, Mississippi State. Tom Crean's still at Georgia. Uh, and then you have uh, Buzz uh, out at uh, Texas A&M. And, and they struggled this year, but he's sort of building that thing. And, you know, he's not – he doesn't really have a track record of losing. Um, so the SEC, with the coaches and the programs here, it's tough. It's still an inconsistent league. Uh, it's still a league I think South Carolina can have some upward mobility in, but, you know, things have to change, um, you know, obviously. And, and I'll say this, too. Uh, one more thing about my opinion on the basketball coaching search. If there is a guy out there, and I am not convinced that there is, if there is a guy out there that can turn the tide with in-state recruiting for South Carolina, hire him. Um, and I used to I used to reject the notion that you have to have all the in-state kids uh, to do well. Um, but, you know, with, with this group they have now, which there, there's not a lot of in-state guys, Trey Hannibal, I think only one. Uh, Seventh Woods, obviously. Uh, you know, and, and then I think they got some young guys. But, uh, you know, with this group tanking 
it's still proven that when South Carolina basketball is good, they have good in-state talent on their roster, you know, and it doesn't have to be top to bottom like Eddie Fogler's teams, um, you know, which were primarily South Carolina guys. Uh, but, you know, like Dave Odom's better teams, you know, you had your Carlos Powell's of the world, your Brandon Wallace's uh, of the world. Um, Darren Horn's one good team obviously had Mike Holmes and Devin Downey and Sam Frederick. Uh, those guys were transfers back, but uh, certainly, you know, those in-state guys made it work for a year. And uh, then with Frank, you know, you had Thornwell and Dozier um, who led them to the final four. Now, Thornwell and Dozier also had a kid from Canada and notice and a kid from Gabon and New Jersey and Chris Silva and a kid from Estonia uh, and Mike Coatsar uh, starting for him. Then they had a backup, R- Rakeem Felder, who was from New York, but via Fort Mill, I think, Indian land. So South Carolina kid. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I think that's still the blueprint, unfortunately. And and I've, I've, and I'll admit to you guys right now, I've been wrong. Uh, so until I'm, until I'm right about though, you can do it by piecing it together from elsewhere until I'm right about that. I'm wrong. Uh, because that I could have, you know, I would have bet good money that this group, the Lawson, Cousinard, Bryant group, Coatsar last year, Levesque, uh, Justin Manaya. I would have bet good money these guys would have would have really done something great at South Carolina uh, because they showed signs when they were young, you know, and they won games, you know. But they, they've proven that at times they can win games. So, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with basketball. But if there is a coach out there that can – you know, sign, I don't know, 70% of the top guys from in the state. Cause I mean, you know, maybe you're not going to get Zion Williamson when he comes through. I mean, that's going to be hard, um, you know, or anybody, you know, there's a lot of kids that North Carolina wants that come through the state and, you know, it's hard to beat, unfortunately, UNC on, on any kid from the Carolinas. Uh, but if you, you know, the, the, the kid like Devonte Shuler at Ole Miss, you know, that's, that's the kind of guy you kind of sit there and go, wow, you know, that they could have used him. The Josiah James at Tennessee um, is, a guy, is a guy that certainly, you know, you could have used uh, the kid that went to Vandy that went pro. Um, his name escapes me. I mean, you know, you, you kind of go through the state, and, and those are all good players, you know, and they're not going to fill out your whole roster, like I said. But they're guys you can build around, and, and when Carolina's had guys like that, they've been pretty good on the hardwood. So that's that. So, you know, baseball is in action again tonight. The Citadel down at Joe Riley Park in um, in uh, Charleston, Chucktown, and that'll be a good one. Hope my I could see probably, depending on what the crowd policy is, and I don't know what it is in Charleston right now, I could see some of my good friends heading on out to the Joe uh, to see the Gamecocks play uh, another good weekend where they had to play some small ball. The bats weren't quite as on fire, uh, you know, five to one, four to nothing and one nothing against Mercer, but another sweep and a 10 and 0 record. Sure. It'd be great to be 11 and 0 heading into this weekend. The Gamecocks uh, Citadel uh, first pitch uh, is at six. And it's on ESPN Plus yet again, um, and so that'll be a uh, that'll be a, a big test. You know, you always have um, a good game with, with the Citadel when it comes to baseball, really all sports. Uh, right now, Bulldogs are four and six, uh, coming off a, a series against North Carolina A and T, where you know dropped a close one, won a close one, and then the Sunday game was twelve to one. So. You know, we'll, we'll see kind of how all that works. I know they 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 lost to North Florida two of three. Gamecocks played North Florida later this year, uh, one and two against Longwood. So not the best start for Citadel baseball, uh, but they always come to play when they play Carolina. Um, you know, I, I sort of expect a close kind of four to two ish kind of game tonight, uh, and then this weekend, nineteenth ranked Texas on the road uh, in Austin. Uh, Longhorn Network uh, is the uh, channel. I think if you have YouTube TV, you have the Longhorn Network. I know that if you have ES, if you've been watching the games on the app ESPN Plus, I, I think that you get Longhorn Network there too. So big three game set uh, out in Austin against the Horns, and 
that's going to be big boy baseball this weekend, folks. It's going to be something else. Uh, you know, and we'll talk more and more about that as the, the week goes on here. Um, football, uh, interesting point in the uh, VIP room on the bigspur.com last night. Carolina looking to schedule some non-conference home and homes with some power fives. Uh, John Whittle reports a Big 12 school is in the mix and uh, does he does not have the name of the opponent I've asked him <laughs> uh, and so here here's my guess and I've got two guesses because we're talking about Texas you know my 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 guess is West Virginia or Texas and uh, I think West Virginia because if you look at the mo of who Tanner and everybody have been scheduling, out of conference into the future. You know, you have Virginia Tech, NC State, and Miami with home and homes. You know, those are all teams Carolina used to play in the 80s and 90s, you know, when they were an independent. You know, Miami was on the schedule a couple of years. West Virginia was on the schedule for three or four years. Virginia Tech was on the schedule almost every year. Um, and so it seems like that's the MO to want to do that, you know. Uh, what schools make sense, you know, there was talk about the recruiting footprint, all that. Um, so, so, so what schools make sense, you know? Um, and so West Virginia to me, you know, cause you don't really associate them. You think big 12, you're like, woohoo, we're going to Texas or Kansas or Oklahoma. Uh, you think woohoo. Uh, but West Virginia is in the big 12 and it's right up, you know, near Pittsburgh. And so it's sort of in, you know, South Carolina's trying to recruit up there in the Northeast a little bit. It's sort of right there. And, you know, it's a Big 12 school, but it's, you know, it's it's in the region. So I think that would be, you know, that's my guess. Uh, and then the next one's Texas, and I'll tell you why. You know, Chris Del Conte, or Del Conte, I don't know how to say it per- properly, the athletic director of Texas, I'm sure he's been talking to somebody at South Carolina lately because of two things. Number one, they put together this baseball series, and they put together a home and home, Okay. That's number one. Number two, South Carolina's name and image and likeness company they signed with recently. We had that news last week. Their two clients so far, LSU and Texas. So it's Texas, LSU, South Carolina. So you have to think there's been some, hey, you know, what do you think about these guys behind the scenes? And by the way, maybe we could put together a football home and home. Uh, I don't know that. I know there was some talk back with Mac Brown was at Texas and Steve Spurrier was at South Carolina. It may have been Lou Holtz. Uh, during that time where they, they were kind of talking about a Texas, South Carolina home and home in football. Um, and, you know, just never came together. Uh, it may have been they were talking when Holtz was there and then, you know, it fell apart. Or maybe Spurrier didn't want to play him or something like that. Spurrier tended to, you know, be old school with his, you know, he, he wanted to go play North Carolina in Charlotte because North Carolina is not very good. He wanted to recreate the outdoor cocktail party, but, uh, you know, I know that never kind of came about. Um, Texas played NC State home and home. I think they got some other teams from over this way that they're playing home and home in the future. Um, and so just reading the tea leaves, maybe it's them. Um, outside of that, I don't know. You know. Maybe it's Oklahoma. Oklahoma likes to play, you know, they've played Tennessee a bunch, you know, home and home and, and things like that. And I know they're playing Clemson, so they – you know, maybe it's them, maybe it's TCU, who knows. Uh, but my guess, my guess would be Texas or West Virginia with a big lean uh, towards the West Virginia Mountaineers. Quarterback recruiting, don't know really what to say. Um, you know, Tanner Bailey is a guy we talked about ad nauseum last week. Lo and behold, he visits Oregon. I think everybody was surprised he had that kind of visit up there. Um, it, it surprised me, and then I dug into it, and I was like, well – you know, Joe Moorhead, who was the former coach at Mississippi State, uh, has been, you know, he's known Tanner Bailey for years. He used to camp over there when Moorhead was at Mississippi State, so there's a relationship. Obviously, Moorhead's a good offensive coordinator. Oregon has got a lot of depth at quarterback, though, so I don't, I don't know the playing time is going to, you know, come easily for Tanner Bailey out there early, but maybe he doesn't want to play early. Uh, and Oregon's an impressive place. I mean, obviously, they're winning championships. Mario Cristobal is an outstanding recruiter. Um, he's not going to be outworked by very many coaches in the country. Uh, you know, I, if I'm South Carolina, though, here's the deal. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay in touch with Tanner Bailey. I'm not going to 
I'm not going to harass Tanner Bailey. I'm not going to stalk Tanner Bailey. I'm going to stay in touch and do use a no pressure approach because number one, Syracuse may open after this year. Uh, probably the number one candidate is Joe Moorhead. Um, so Joe Moorhead may not even be there by the time Tanner Bailey wants to sign. Number two, it's a long way to Oregon. It's not so far to South Carolina. You know, he still is a kid that's growing up in the SEC. Uh, number three, he hasn't visited South Carolina. Uh, and so all those impressive, uh, I guess, facilities. I don't even know if he got a chance to go in the facilities because honestly, you know, you, you can't do that, you know, and the state of Oregon has a lot. I mean, it's an NCAA rule. You can't do it, but the state of Oregon has many more restrictions than South Carolina. Um, you know, so, so you don't know because, you know, a lot of kids just don't know, you know, they don't know about the ops building. They can see it, but until you've been there, you really don't know. You don't know that there's an 80,000 seat stadium. They fill up, you know, you don't know. Um, and so I'm staying after him and I'm not giving up just yet. Um, you know, within the parameters of, you don't want to piss people off. Uh, and then I, I'm starting to look around, uh, and maybe getting some guys that I can bring in for camp and then go from there. Uh, and then if it gets down to it, they don't want to do this, but there's always quarterbacks in the portal. Uh, and that's the one position I think you can really help yourself uh, is a quarterback. Uh, at the end of the day. So that's, uh, you know, that's the thought. I, I, you know, Drew Aller obviously also committed to Penn State, you know, and, and I think that they, you know, South Carolina staff, from what I've heard, is like you can still flip somebody, you know. I mean, it's not over until they sign. And so uh, – and Aller's a really good prospect too. You know, there's a lot of debate who's better, Tanner Bailey or Drew Aller. Um, Aller's probably got more upside, but I think Tanner Bailey's a hell of a quarterback too. So, you know, we'll, we'll see kind of what happens there. I know people have been disappointed by that because it's, it's, you know, South Carolina's having some – getting some recruiting momentum rolling. Uh, and, uh, you know, they got the kid Anthony Rose and you got some in-state kids that are fired up. And then you got Tanner Bailey, who's a four-star quarterback. You may get in the boat and all of a sudden that doesn't happen. And so, you know, you kind of feel like momentum's been zapped. But I, I think they're still – working very hard and recruiting. And I can tell you, nobody's like panicking on the inside because they didn't get Tanner Bailey. They like him. They love him. But, you know, they, they think they're going to find a pretty good quarterback uh, in this class. So we'll see ultimately what happens there. Uh, by the way, I, I think I mentioned it earlier, but first pitch tonight, 6 p.m. ESPN Plus for the Citadel uh, in baseball. Mailbag questions. And you guys have done a great job of the mailbag questions. <laughs> uh, I woke up today and we got some. So here we go. Uh, Mark says, I posted this on the message board, but what would you think about the NCAA creating some type of salary cap for player image likeness for each individual school? Would be interesting how each team spread that out amongst 85, four or five scholarship players over a four-year period. Otherwise, it feels like all the big schools would just use this to attract all the top-end talent. Well, yeah, no, I mean, you know, the good thing about name image likeness is it's there's a lot to screw up, you know, especially if you're a big school and you're used to getting whoever you get, you know, and then this is kind of like another thing you have to, you know, do. And, and you know, one other, another school may have a better program for it or better ideas, you know. So, yes and no, I, I, I feel like because of the brands in college football, you know, you know, Notre Dame, obviously, you know, you're going to be able to put together a better name image likeness package for a player, you know, with the Chicago media market and the fact that Notre Dame is a national brand than you are at South Carolina, uh, or you should be able to, but will you? That's the question. Um, I think they're going to have to have some kind of like, I don't want to know about a salary cap. I think what it'll be is, you know, the NCAA will determine uh, legitimate market value. And, and I think what you're going to find is some of this market value that these guys think they have uh, is not going to be very much, even for the best players, because as I've said before, college sports is based on, you know, the brand of the team. You know, people are passionate about their schools and their teams, not necessarily individual players. They love individual players. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and the, and the, the rest of the country 
will react to individual players, but the actual endemic fans for college sports, they, they don't, you know, like I said before, you could take the top 1000 college football players and basketball players and send them directly to the pros. And March Madness is still going to be a billion dollar enterprise in basketball and, you know, football is still going to rake in the money it, it rakes in, you know, it, it's not, there's not that much difference in terms of the quality of the game. And on top of that, football is developmental. And so half those top thousand, the people we think of the top thousand aren't going to be, and there's going to be 500 more that are just as good or better. Um, and so again, the you know, basketball, maybe not so much, because I think you sort of know, but uh, again, the, the, you know, <laughs> the brand for the schools is what, powers the whole thing do i think players should get more and be able to go hold a camp uh where they help teach kids and get back to the community and charge a little money for it and all that and make make some extra cash yes do i think they should be able to go do commercials yes uh you know do i think they should get a cut of the jersey sales yes but uh uh you know that that's 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 different than saying all right, well, you know, you, you got to go do this and, and give these guys all this money, you know, like like the people were asking for that percentage of revenue or whatever, 50%. They're not worth 50%. Players are not worth 50% of the revenue. Uh, I feel bad saying that because they're the ones out there putting their bodies on the line and physically doing the work and, and all that. But when you're just talking about branding and value in brand, I'm sorry, these guys don't have a brand yet, you know? Um, it, it's, it's there, but I mean, you know, all of you guys cover, you know, follow recruiting, um, and, and in your world, my world, yeah, that's the top player in the country has a great brand, but that is a sliver of the overall audience for college football, a sliver. Uh, it, it's not, you know, believe me, I wish it was more, I wish everybody cared about recruiting because I'd, I'd be making a whole lot more money myself, but that's just how it is. And, um, you know, that, that's that's going to be the hard reality, I think, with some of this stuff, uh, you know, is that these guys are going to kind of learn, well, you know, they're sitting there thinking they should get half of what the coaches make. That's not, that's not going to happen. Do I feel like coaches' salaries are out of control? Yes, I do. Do I feel like, you know, some of this money they've spent on buyouts for Gus Malzahn, Will Muschamp, whoever you want to talk about, Kevin Sumlin, do I feel like some of that money would have been better spent doing something else, uh, including maybe helping your players? Yes, I do. I do. Um, but at the same time, you know, when you look at it, you know, the, these people that are screaming about this are, 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 you know, they're capitalists when it comes to this kind of stuff. Uh, but I think that they're misinformed. You know, it, it, it's, it's they scream capitalism and go get what you're worth, but they're not going to be happy, in my opinion, because these guys are going to go get exactly what they're worth and it's not going to be as much because that's just how it is. And then you're going to have a whole different, you know, argument about it. You know, oh, well, why are the coaches still doing this, that, and the other, you make all this money, blah, 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 blah. But anyway, um, salary cap, I, I don't think will happen because uh, I think you got to go get what you're worth. And, you know, I don't think it's going to be spread out over 85 scholarship players. Uh, I don't think your second team guy is going to be able to go be in a commercial. I think it's going to benefit your top guys uh, and it's, who it's really not going to benefit is going to be the, the minor sports, you know, I mean, who on the women's basketball team, maybe one or two guys, girls on the women's basketball team get, I mean, it's just not, it's only going to benefit the superstars. Um, and, and nobody ever talks about the 97% of the other players who college football has changed their lives for the positive and go, you know, have opportunities to get jobs or to go into coaching and get one of those coaching jobs that plays a lot. Nobody talks about how that benefits those guys. It's just all about the, oh, you make 10 million. If he'd have gone to the pros, he'd have done this. Well, well that's a very small percentage of the people that play football. And, and that's what we're talking about here is a very small percentage of players um, that are going to benefit from the NIL. But I do think they're going to have to determine market value and not let people pay over. You know, I mean, you can't you can't have John Q. Oil Man from Texas A&M buy a million jerseys with the name of the top recruit on it and hand him a check for one point one million when he signs. You know, that's first of all, I don't, I don't think you could sell that many jerseys on the open market. Right. Uh, 
Uh, so it's unrealistic. And second, that's just that's just going to cause all kinds of problems, you know. And that's exactly what will happen if they don't have some kind of like okay, just or you know a committee or you know just use an economist, you know, to determine that a, a committee of economists. There's economists in the NCAA, right? And you determine what the what the what the what the market value is, and you go from there. Great question, Mark. Great question. All right, Keith. I've never been to Greenville, North Carolina before. How have you been? And do you think the football game against East Carolina will be worth the four-hour drive from Charlotte? Keith, I have never been to a football game at East Carolina. I will say this. I've been up there. Uh, I know about the school. Everybody I talk to that went to the school has a great time. Uh, everybody I've talked to that's been to a game up there has a great time. It's a 50,000-seat stadium, so there's going to be tickets. Um, it'll probably be packed. Great atmosphere. I would go just because, you know, if you're just over in Charlotte, go get a hotel in Greenville or Kinston or wherever, or just drive over for the game. Because um, it's a place Carolina hadn't played since 1997. Uh, and I think that, you know, they may not play there again for a while. I mean, it's been 24 years. And so I, I'm all for. And my theory is too that when you when Carolina goes places they haven't been in a while, they bring a pretty good crowd. Ole Miss two years ago in 2018 was like that. Um, so yeah, I, I think I've heard nothing but great things about the atmosphere. Keith also says one more question, maybe not for the pod, but I signed up uh, for Paramount Plus. Do you know how I can access 24/7 sports? Sports in the Big Spurs as I have Paramount Plus. Well. <sighs> you got to do it the opposite way. You have to sign up with 24 seven sports and the big spur, and then you get paramount plus for free. So what I would recommend doing is uh, cancel your paramount plus uh, and then go sign up for the big spur 24 seven sports. Uh, and if you pay full price, you know, there's a, there's a thing you can sign up for a dollar right now. Um, if you sign up for the dollar uh, until your nine ninety five bills the next month, you don't get Paramount Plus, but there's an option, I think, where you can go pay full price, pay the $9.95, and you can get Paramount Plus or sign up for the year. Um, so that's how you got to do it. We, we don't do it where people that sign up for Paramount Plus get the big spur 24-7. That's kind of the reverse thing. Uh, but, Keith, thanks for the question. So seriously, uh, happy that you emailed the pod and got to talk about that a little bit. Noah said, JC, you've been asked this too many times, but Tanner Bailey to Oregon – what other quarterbacks you want to keep an eye on? Personally, I like Taven Jackson. Yeah, Taven Jackson's a guy that South Carolina is interested in. I don't know how interested he is. Um, Tevin Carter out of Memphis. There's some kids in Georgia they like. Uh, but like I explained earlier, I, I think they're going to maybe try to flip some guys. And I don't, I don't know that they're, you know, look, the Tanner Bailey thing happened awfully quick. And, and there are reasons that it happened. And so don't, don't think you can always flip a guy that's committed way out of region. You know, it, it's happened before. So, you know, and, and I don't think Carolina, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to say I, I didn't, didn't have a fair shot. I'll say fair shot. Now I'm not implying that Oregon cheated in any way or, or was playing unfair or that, you know, I think Tanner Bailey fell in love with the school, decided where he wanted to go and he went, um, but but I, I think that it could have been a different story had he visited Carolina, had visits been open, all that good stuff. Because like I said, there's just a lot you don't know until you come. Uh, and so that's the deal. Uh, I don't expect him to flip anywhere else anytime soon, but if I'm South Carolina, I'm keeping up with him and I'm keeping up with anybody else that's committed as well. And, and then if it gets right down to it, you can always hit the portal for a quarterback. That's the good thing about these days. Mitchell says, hope all as well. Got a question about South Carolina basketball. I know there have been rumors about Frank Martin's job security, including him being tied to New Mexico. I don't see South Carolina firing Martin because of the money situation. Well, I, I don't think it's going to be about money. Everybody thinks that, but I don't think it's going to be about money. Uh, but if he were to leave for another program, what do you think about Pat Kelsey of Winthrop being South Carolina's next basketball coach? Winthrop's been really good in the Big South. He's about to win another automatic big. Uh, he's recruited the state really well. Yeah, he has. 
I know the last time Gamecocks hired a mid-major coach in Darren Horn, it was a disaster. But I do believe that Kelsey's much better coach than Horn. Uh, I think if South Carolina doesn't target Kelsey if Martin leaves, I think he goes back to his alma mater, Xavier, or gets a job in the ACC or Big Ten in the near future. I, I agree. I, I like Pat Kelsey. Um, and I also think that this time around, there's probably, you know, Mike Boynton's at Oklahoma State. I think that's the best shot at getting a sitting power five. Uh, you know, like I mentioned John Beeline earlier, he doesn't have a job. He's like Holtz and Spurrier, uh, no job. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's the best shot at sitting. So it's probably going to have to come from – probably going to in all likelihood come from the mid-major uh, area. And, and South Carolina really hasn't hired outside of Horn, who I think if you dug into Darren Horn, you'd realize, man, you know, this guy really – he's almost about to get fired from his alma mater, Western Kentucky, uh, which is a good mid-major job. Uh, and I think if you'd have really dug into that, you know, and, and, and all that, he probably would have not hired him. You know, he it was, uh, people talk about South Carolina hires on the cheap all the time. Uh, that's another falsehood out there, but the, the only hire on the cheap they've made where money was an issue was Darren Horn. That was, that was definitely money restricted. Um, and, and so, and look, Horn came in, said some cool things, had a good team back, he arguably got more support game to game in that arena than Frank Martin ever did. The problem was it was one good year and they, they didn't make the big dance because they lost some games and they lost the tournament game and, and all that with Downey and Frederick and those guys. And, uh, and, and then things just went South. And so that was kind of one good year out of seven. Uh, and then the football was rising, went to the SEC championship game. Women's basketball started rising. Baseball was winning national championships. And Batman's basketball just fell behind, support-wise, bottom line. Um, you know, and, and look, I'll be honest with you, Mitchell, if Xavier opened and and at some point and he could get Xavier, I think he'd take Xavier over South Carolina. That's a better basketball job. I probably can't pay as much, but better basketball job but yeah i agree i'm a big pat kelsey guy i like bob Ritchie from Furman a lot i know he went out early in the tournament uh which has to be looked at you know you have to look at that socon tournament but uh he's been winning at Furman. uh you know i like uh wes miller from unc greensboro who did win the southern conference tournament those are all mid-major guys uh earl grant from college of charleston's gotten some mention don't know really about him um you know, there's just a lot of guys out there that I think could be fits. It's just you just don't know. It's a it's kind of a crapshoot because you just don't. You know, unlike football, where you know you know Shane Beamer is going to get a shot at some point. You know, in a big job, uh, you like his plan. You know, you, you like what he you know the passion he brings to the job. You know, you like you like what he's going to do. Um, you sort of know what you're getting. You know, these mid-major basketball guys are kind of all the same. They get there, and you don't know. Are you going to get Nate Oates or are you going to get Darren Horn? You know, that's the question. And you just don't know. Now, I do think, as I said, the Darren Horn thing had some red flags that somebody should have paid attention to because there were other mid-majors you could have gone and hired at the time. Um, A lot of guys. So – that's the deal there. But, yeah, I, I like Pat Kelsey, man. And, you know, he coached for Skip Prosser. Uh, rest, his, rest his soul. I, you know, Skip Prosser was a guy, Xavier, and you know, then he took over for Odom at Wake Forest and immediately elevated those that program. Um, it's not a surprise that Pat Kelsey uh, is winning at a high level, and certainly he'd be a guy that I think you know, they'd get. And, look, I, and I think that's what you're looking at. You know, some people – you know, they'll put out all these names, these guys that I just don't know that they're going to get a sitting power five outside of Mike Boynton, who's a, who's an alum. Uh, and Mike Boynton's going to the NCAA tournament. He's got, you know, the number one player in the country playing for him, but he's going to the NCAA tournament this year. Congratulations to him. All right, Billy. Hey, JC, love the show. What's your thoughts of the possibility of us hiring Greg Marshall when USC and Coach Martin decide to part ways? I know he interviewed for the job when Martin was hired. Curious as to your thoughts on him. Well, Billy, I look, big Greg Marshall guy way back when. Uh, 
I, I thought that, you know, when it came down, if it came down to him and Frank, Frank was probably the better choice just because you look at what Frank did at Kansas State and you're like, wow, you know, this guy, you know, probably, you know, if he stayed at Kansas State, continued to, to do like that, it's probably going to be in line for like an Illinois or, a, you know, a big Michigan big time job. You know, and so you're, that, that was a big – Frank Martin was a big-time hire. Okay. And, look, it may have only paid off for one year, but a lot a lot of folks probably wouldn't trade that one year for anything, that one run, because that was, that, was, that was special. One of the most special moments in the history of Carolina athletics, the, the top achievement in a revenue sport at South Carolina. Because keep in mind, your two revenue sports are football and men's basketball. Football's never been to that big of a stage, you know, probably the SEC championship game in 2010 is the, the biggest stage that sport's been on uh, that and the two number one draft picks they've had. That's a big stage too, but that's not a team accomplishment. Uh, going to the final four, that is something that Frank McGuire could not do. Eddie Fogler could not do. Uh, Dave Odom certainly could not do. He went to the final four in the NIT, but, but that, you know, the, Nobody needs to diminish that, and nobody can ever take that away from Carolina. You know, that said, at the time, if they'd ended up with Greg Marshall, I'd have been excited. I've always thought he could, he should have been in the mix for the job many, many times. That being said, you look at what happened at Wichita State, and look, I know they had to pay him all his money to leave. Maybe some of it didn't happen. Maybe it did. I've got some contacts that have dealt with him. They're not surprised. You know, when you – it's one thing to be a hard-nosed coach because I think a lot of coaches are hard-nosed, but it's another thing to be a sociopath and to negatively influence everybody around you. (laughs) And that's what Greg Marshall did. He won, but, but man, you can't sit there when a kid, soccer player, track star, whoever, another Wichita state athlete parks in your parking space you know, I mean, I'm sure it pisses you off. And if the kid did it on purpose, he's a jerk. But you got to be an adult, man. You can't run him down and try to fight him, punch at him through his window, you know, just because of your parking space. That That's not being a tough, hard-nosed coach. That's being a, a petty sociopath, in my opinion. Uh, and that's just, you know, and there, there's been talk about him. There's a reason Greg Marshall hadn't been in the mix for this job beyond, you know, winning and losing and – you know, Eric Hyman, uh, I, I used to be critical of Eric Hyman because of it. And I probably, after reading all that, want to take it back. Uh, you know, I just thought Eric Hyman was being sort of a little, you know, soft, for lack of a better term. Of course, he hired Frank Morton, who, you know, you got a lot of, you know, f- fire in his belly. So you can probably close the door on Greg Marshall. Again, if, if it hadn't been for this stuff, let's say he had just left Wichita. Uh, or let's say he was still at Wichita and, and you know he's winning and you want to you want to make a the mother of all moves to get him back, go for it. But after that, man, I just uh, you know th- there's just too much there uh, off the court. And I'm usually a guy you know I look I know Rick I advocated for Rick Pitino he's had some off the field off the court stuff too. But th- I think there's a big difference between some of the things Pitino did, which are pro- or immoral you know, and bad and crappy. Uh, and then hiring someone who's a, probably needs some help, who's a sociopath. Um, and, and so that's a problem. And, and so, look, I, like I said, I, I was the biggest Greg Marshall fan on the planet. Always scratched my head and wondered, why, why, why wouldn't you hire that guy over Dave Odom? You know, what if they, they'd hired him out of Winthrop? I mean, you know, how much would he – how much different would Carolina basketball be? Um well, there's reasons that didn't happen. And unfortunately, they kind of all came to bear with, with that report. Now, you know, like, look, I'll go back on this. I'll say this. If it's been proven that none of that was true, which I think it is true, because even though, you know, it's probably true to the point where you got to fire him, but you still got to pay him his money because you don't want to get it. You know, you probably don't want to. If you put it in a court of law, it's kind of hard to prove some of that stuff. Um. But if, if, if they had a report and clean bill of health that said, listen, you know, all these were lies. We just parted ways because the situation had gotten toxic. Uh, but all these were lies. This didn't happen. He didn't go after a kid. He didn't do this, didn't do that, didn't threaten to fight his assistants in practice. 
uh, yeah, I'd consider it. But you'd have to have that front and center, in my opinion, um, to make this work. And, and I still think it's going to happen. And that's sad. That's sad. Um, okay, final question from Dr. Rob. JC, with the Gamecocks getting beat out by Penn State and Oregon for the two quarterbacks they're after for 2022, who do they go after now? Thanks for all you do. Uh, a lot of players. You know, I mentioned Tevin Jackson earlier. Tevin Carter is a guy that's in the mix. I, I, there's not a number one next guy. Uh, I'll say that. There's just not. Uh, you know, and, and there's a lot of guys that could emerge depending on interest. And when I say interest, that means, you know, if they're interested, if Carolina's interested, I, I personally think, uh, barring something crazy happening that we don't know about uh, and that can happen in recruiting, I think we're heading to a camp situation with this uh, where they bring in several guys they like and then take the best one, which that, that happens. I mean, that's, uh, that's certainly the way a lot of schools do it with quarterbacks just to be straight and honest. So we'll see kind of what happens there, but that's, uh, that's it. There's not a next guy, Dr. Rob. And uh, I appreciate all, all of your emails. I certainly do that. And again, to reach the mailbag on um, inside the Gamecocks, you just got to tweet to at the big spur pod and, um, That'll do it. Or go follow at the Big Spur Pod. Go follow Inside the Gamecocks on Instagram. Or you can uh, email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. And I will answer every single one of them. Good to hear. Good to see the mailbag is back rocking and rolling here on Inside the Gamecocks. That's all the time we have for today. I'll be back later this week. Enjoy Carolina baseball tonight and certainly. You know, we'll talk more about the Texas thing this weekend. By the way, Keith Alsep's coming in on Thursday. Uh, Thursday afternoon, we'll release that show. Uh, those of you that listen to Locked on the Gamecocks, and we're going to start doing this every other week, probably every other Thursday. He'll come on this one, and then the next Thursday I'll go over there. Uh, and so y'all will, you guys will get JC and the Cockfather at least once a week now for those that enjoyed listening back in the day when we were both on Locked on the Gamecocks. This is JC Sherbert signing off. Everyone have a wonderful day.